Thank you very much, Laura and Lorelei. The cross makes it possible for us to come to Christ. The cross is also a level ground. We all come by repentance and faith in Christ and what he has done. And it's also the cross that moves us to being willing in our daily life, as we discussed last week, to practice confession and repentance. I'm not looking for a response verbally, but did you apply what we discussed last week? You know, confession and repentance and daily living in your relationships and with God. We hear, we learn, and God desires for us to take that and apply it in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, again, we're grateful for your word, the written word that we can respond to in obedience for your glory. We look at a portion of First Peter this morning. We want to hear with an intent to apply. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. An individual believer who had come to Christ is, can be described as one who asks for help. I need help and will request that of other people. Accepts rebuke because the individual battles with worry. And numerous times throughout their life, someone has come up to the individual and said, you know, you're worrying again. And the individual would say, thank you for the rebuke. I needed that. The individual prays with and for other believers. The individual over the years has received some money and some material things from others with grace and a thankful heart. The individual writes some notes or calls individuals just to express concern. The fruit of the Spirit is becoming more and more evident in the person. They're growing in humility and gentleness. And they confront sin in their life, both inside and out. They share their burdens with others. They recognize they can't carry them alone, so they say to others, can you help me carry my burden? And frequently in their daily and weekly and yearly life, They seek forgiveness from family and from others. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning with verse 22. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. 
now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The individual I described before reading from 1 Peter is experiencing 1 Peter 2, or 1, 22 through 2, 3 as a lifestyle. God's design is for the local body of believers to mold, to form the life of its members. In the flow of the passage, we see in verses 3 through 12 of chapter 1, what God's elect have in Christ. In verses 13 through 16, he is exhorting them as far as how to respond. In 17, he says, you call on a father who judges impartially. So live as strangers. Why live as strangers? In verses 18 through 20, because you've been redeemed, not with, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. He's the one that was chosen before the creation of the world, and it's through him, in verse 21, that you believe in God who raised Christ from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. And it is in that context that Paul, Paul, no, Peter, Peter says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. As I mentioned numerous times, the pattern in the New Testament is to begin with the foundation, the nature of the new life that is in Christ. And Peter does that in chapter 1, 1 through 12. And then he talks about building, doing, living accordingly in chapter 1, 13 through chapter 2 and verse 3. And he continues throughout his epistle of, Sometimes talking about the foundation, sometimes talking about the building. I want to focus on verse 22 this morning. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. He talks about now that you're purified, <clears throat> speaking to God's elect, they come to faith in Christ. You purified yourself by obeying the truth, <clears throat> responding to the gospel. And he says you have a sincere love for your brothers. And the word for love there is speaking of a family love. Families care for one another. And yesterday I was reminded of that. My siblings and I got together to <clears throat> just share and discuss some things about my mother. We care for one another. We care for her her physical well-being, her spiritual well-being. So what did we do? We got together as a family. That's a family love. Here he's talking about a family love so that you have a sincere love for your brothers. He's the spiritual family. Remember the way we respond to the local body of Christ is the way we respond to Christ. Or... Your love for Christ, our love for Christ is shown in our love for the local body. Dave Harvey in his book entitled Rescuing Ambition says, Ambition for the church compels us to join our imperfect self with other imperfect selves to form an imperfect community 
all for the glory of God. End of quote. And it is in that context in the body of Christ, those who are imperfect, people to whom Peter is writing to us today, he says, love one another deeply. The first word, love, love for your brothers is a family type of love. Love one another deeply from the heart. The love there is a different Greek word. The Greek word is agape. And if I were to define love, this is a definition that I've come up with over the years. The unconditional giving of one's total self to others in one's local body to the extent that their needs become your own needs. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. Love is not optional. It's a command. Right behavior towards others defines love. It's a responsibility of being a member of the body of Christ. Love one another deeply. The idea of deeply is intensely, earnestly, fervently. I don't know if you've ever watched a race. And there, maybe we'll say, on a one-mile run, they go around the lap. Or go around the field one time and a second time and a third time. And if you watch them and you listen to people cheer, as they're coming down the home stretch, they're encouraged to pour it all on. And wait races many times are won or lost in the last couple hundred feet. Because they're earnestly, passionately, fervently trying. And that's the idea of agape, love one another deeply, firmly, passionately, totally. Who's he talking about loving? Those in the body of Christ. Love is a natural response when one is sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. And sprinkling by the blood, as Peter mentioned in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The various members of the body give to each other. The mindset is body, not individual. Decisions concerning time, money, job, involvement in sports, media, technology, entertainment, buying, etc., are all influenced deeply by counsel from the body and impact on the body. Love one another deeply. What I just said may be very foreign to some believers because we tend to see things through individual glasses. How would it influence me? My individual salvation, how I respond as an individual. We have that individual worldview. Peter here is saying to his hearers and to us today, love 
one another deeply. It's not merely an individual. It's the body. Love one another deeply, he says, from a pure heart. The idea of purity is innocent, sincere, no ulterior motive. It's not for your benefit. He's saying, love one another, agape one another, give to one another. Because you care for them. Not because of anything you get yourself. Because you care deeply for them. From the heart. Affections, the mental framework, the seat of the intellect, from the heart. This involves inner choices springing from a mindset of community. The individual mindset is more and more abnormal. Because I'm part of a body. We love one another. We have a family love, but we also agape one another. Salvation is living a way of love. The love Peter has in view is neither a warm, fuzzy feeling, nor friendship around a pot of coffee after a worship, even though they may be involved. Rather, it involves a righteous relationship with each other that are based on God's character, which Christians' behavior reflects. For Peter, obedience to the truth of the gospel is not merely intellectual. It's not an asset to doctrine, but must result in transformation of how God's elect treat one another because moral transformation is a central purpose of Christ's redemption. You cannot separate purified yourselves by obeying the truth from local body relationships. You've been purified, he says, now love one another deeply from the heart. Why? Four. Four implies a reason in verse 23. <clears throat> what is the reason God's elector to love one another? And Lord willing, we'll discuss more fully next week. But he gives the reason. You've been born again. Not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. A new birth has taken place. And that new birth, that being born again, is of imperishable seed, not perishable seed. So love one another deeply. Peter mentions born again in verse 23, and then explains it with the seed or the root of the new birth. He's appealing to the nature of being God's elect. You're God's elect because of an imperishable seed. You've been born again is the same Greek word as a new birth mentioned in verse 3 of chapter 1. The tense is passive. 
which means Peter's hearers and believers today, it's not because of our works. It's because of what Christ has done. The new birth. Born again means to be brought forth again, to regenerate. Peter's concept of the new birth involves entrance into a new order of existence. Combining within that of divine parentage. Individuals who enter into a new life as children of its author. Thus for Peter, God is not the father by virtue merely of his role as creator. But because of his distinctive role in the new birth of those who have been chosen to set apart for his glory. The new covenant in Christ involves all of God's elect. Being born into a body where there's phileo, a family love, but a choice to love agape deeply from the heart. Relating to the body, being born into a family, having a Family love, a sincere love, and then loving deeply, agape. As you look at parallel scriptures, we're not going to look at these. But you find that scripture in other passages emphasizes the body, being part of the body. Romans chapter 12, after discussing sin and salvation and God's calling, he talks about presenting ourselves Unto God as a living sacrifice. And then he moves into the body. How you relate to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 17-34. We read that passage sometimes. And we know that some of the Corinthians died. Because of how they related to other believers in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 12, 12-31. He talks about the body. He says we're all members of the body, just like that's the body of Christ. Like we have various members in our physical body. Ephesians 1, we find he talks about Christ, vertical relationship. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he deals with the horizontal relationship, relating to the body. You can't separate the two. Philippians 2, 1 through 18. If you have any comfort from being united with Christ, if any fellowship with the Spirit, what's he talking about? Talking about a relationship. And then he goes into relating to one another. In Colossians 3, 1 through 17. He talks about body relationships, but that comes after discussing the relationship with God and Christ. And you find the same in Hebrews 10 and in Revelation 2 and 3. Why be committed to a local body of believers? Because Christ didn't come just to save sinners. He came to be a, to build a community of saved sinners. Why be committed to a local body of believers? Because Christ didn't come just to save sinners, but to build a community of 
saved sinners. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from a pure heart. For many years in our nation, in our valley, and in our own immediate community, there's been a very strong vocal presentation of what I will call the bodiless gospel of Christ. Let me explain what I share or what I mean by that. Bodily's gospel of Christ, and hear me out on this. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. Hell is your present destiny. Christ died for your sins. Through faith in Christ, you're forgiven. Now you're going to heaven when you die. I'm not saying that what I just mentioned is not true. But my point is, what is lacking? There are at least a number of issues that are lacking. A relationship with Christ. A relationship with the body of Christ expressed locally in the present, here and now. Peter is writing to people in various areas. And he says, you purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers. You're part of a family. You care for one another. That was obvious in their lives. And now he says, love, agape, one another deeply from a pure heart. It's not merely a relationship with God. It's not merely an eternal destiny. Yes, those are involved. But it's being part of a body of believers. You can't separate the head from the body. This might be a little on the later side. You have a bride and groom standing at their wedding. They're about to make their vows to one another. And the pastor says, now I want you to understand, groom, that you're committing yourself to love your wife's head, period. No body, just her head. You say that pastor's a little off track. When we claim Christ and we love him and there's no body, there's no local expression of that, no involvement there, we have a distorted view of the gospel. The gospel is a relationship with God, with Christ. It's forgiveness. Eternal destiny is influenced. But it also influences the here and now. 
It's not merely future. The gospel is future, yes. But it influences the present, the here and now. We become part of a body. We encourage one another. We rebuke one another. We forgive one another. And we love one another and so on. And that's where Peter is coming from. And he goes on throughout his book, emphasizing Christ, the gospel, but emphasizing relationships. This bodiless gospel of Christ is evident in the hundreds of people in our valley who claim to have experienced the second birth, but do not relate scripturally to a local body of believers, thus not relating to Christ. I realize that in that statement, I'm making a very serious statement. But I think we must humbly accept its reality as we consider Scripture and where many professing individuals are in our area and in our valley. And there are implications to that. I realize that. But until we see reality we confess and repent. We don't change. I couldn't count on my one hand, my second hand, my right foot, my left foot. How many people I've talked to over the years. Yes, I'm a Christian. I get saved years ago, and I'm going to heaven when I die. And don't have hardly any concern for the present. And living godly relating to Christ, and relating to other believers. Is part of the reason those who claim Christ and are exhorted, pleaded with, to be involved in relating locally, but don't respond due to a distorted gospel, thus spiritually sick. I think there's a strong possibility of that being a reality. What Peter says to his hearers has implications not only for them, but also for us today as we seek to live in the present with the hope of an eternity with the Lord, but relating in the present on a local Level. See, the community of believers is to form us, not society. We live in a society, but we're part of the family of God, and that family of God is to be forming Peter's hearers. And that's one reason they were running into problems. They'd come to faith in Christ, they were relating to one another, and they were living. The result was living contrary to their culture, and that created some problems. And Peter says, now you're a family. Love one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Community of believers forms us just with body life. The one another is a scripture. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. Rebuke one another. Restore one another, and so on. We need that. That's part of what forms us. 
I'm not sure where I would be today as a husband and as a father if I had not, some, had, not had some individuals that rebuked me along the way about how I was being a husband or a father. Dan, that's not the way to go. That's body life. Where would I be if I have not forgiven people along the way and that bitterness and anger built up within me and it just kind of oozed out of me? Where would some of you be if someone had not come alongside you and restored you when you drifted? That's all part of body life. And that's not organized. That's just part of relating. But also shepherding, accepting, teaching, encouragement, and so on from pastor and elders. Corporate worship is involved. Corporate worship forms us. In my observation, believers who just are committed to faithful worship, whether it's a type of service they want or it's a type of music they want, just worship faithfully the other believers. That over years forms character. Forms what God desires for believers to be. Time together. Just to be with. Whatever form that takes. I'm not talking about any particular form. Just time together. To be with. Christ molds us. The local body of saints. He has no other plan. We relate to Christ. We relate to God. And then that's spelled out. As Peter says. You have a sincere love for one another. You're part of a family. But then love. One another deeply. It's impossible to be maturing in Christ. As God desires, I said as God desires, apart from interacting with other believers. Dave Harvey says, the satisfaction of individual ambition is linked to our collective identity as the people of God. The individual Christian simply cannot understand his or her purpose, and therefore his or her ambition in pure individual terms. Our culture strives to form us individually so very deeply. I'm not knocking these items, but they do form us. Our culture has an individual mindset. There's an emphasis on the media, sports, Technology, entertainment, computer games, news, music, uh, technology via computer, phones, and so on. I'm not saying these things are wrong, but stop and think how they form us. To be individuals rather than a body. Not saying they're wrong, but think about the impact that they have. God desires for us to be living in relationships with other people. 
We need that. That's the living out, the fleshing out of what Peter says. You purified yourself. You obey the truth. Now have a sincere love. You're part of a family. You care for one another. Now love, agape, one another deeply from the heart because you've been born of imperishable seed. As we wrap it up, let me describe another person who stands in contrast to the one that I described at the beginning of what I shared this morning. This individual desired to deal with some unforgiveness in their heart years ago, but it just kind of slipped by the wayside and they remain in a state of unforgiving towards others, but don't think about it a lot now. But their unforgiveness spills out and is seen in their life. People say about them, that's just the way he is. It's just the way he is. He's been that way, he'll always be that way. The individual resists asking for help. Just kind of thinks they can handle life themselves. Prays primarily when in a tough spot. They generally can handle life. Rarely, if ever, are these words heard. I'm sorry. I sinned against God and against you. Will you forgive me? The individual seen as going through the motions of living, but little passion to be with other believers. What's the difference? The one is experiencing Christ through the local body relationships. Will you choose to be formed by local body, by giving and receiving love? Have you drifted? Do you need to make an adjustment? Last Sunday night, I announced that I wanted to meet with the deacons and elders for a few moments. And I mentioned a couple things, asked them about their response in several areas. Then before we went downstairs for some refreshments, I said, guys, I'm struggling. I need prayer. This week was different because I lived in relationship. Oh, I struggled tremendously in some ways this week. But it was a different level of struggle because I said to the deacons and elders, I need you. Let's pray together. Father, As Peter writes to those that have been purified by obeying the truth. They were to have a sincere love for one another. They did have a sincere love for one another. They recognized they were part of a body and apparently lived that out. And then he says, love or agape one another deeply from the heart. Because you've been born again of imperishable seed. Father, we have a temptation 
to live as individuals rather than members of the body. I think if all of us are honest, we would say that's been present many, many times in my life. We confess that struggle. We confess that temptation. But we want to live meaningfully in relation to the body of Christ. May we grow in just loving one another, knowing that loving one another involves accepting one another, caring for one another, forgiving one another, rebuking one another, correcting one another, along with other one another's in Scripture. We haven't arrived, Father. All of us have victories and struggles. We have temptations. Other times we do well. But we want to be a body that is humble before you, that practices confession and repentance to you and towards one another. Build that into our lives, Father, as we humbly Yield to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.